Hello and welcome to Where Creatives Connect. My name is Jamie Sharp and if you have been watching chronologically, firstly, well done. But you'll also know that about 24 hours ago, I landed in Dubai to do the first podcast away from my studio back in the UK. I have now arrived in Auckland in New Zealand to continue this season two extravaganza and I'm joined by a wonderful man. Somebody that you, again, if you've been following for quite some time, will have seen on here before. Uh, back in 2018 or 19, when I first gave this a bit of a go. Here's a wonderful fellow NIDS tutor. He's a wonderful friend, and he is also a wonderful radio host. Bryn Rudkin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to finally be sitting down and chatting with you. I know. It's been four or five years since we've seen each other. It's been a long time. A lot's happened, but also... Not much, really. <laughs> mm, it's kind of more of the same, isn't it? More of the same, yeah. You look the same. As do you. Yeah. Oh, I do like this jacket as well. It's, it's really suiting you. I only wish I had a six-pack. Don't we all? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, um, apart from my introduction on this podcast, if somebody was to saddle up next to you on a bus, I don't know if you, you ride buses. Occasionally I do, yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. When, they're, when they're running to time, of course. Um, and they were to ask you what you do for a living what do you Mm. what's your go-to what do you say I would give them multiple answers Um, I would tell them I'm a counsellor I am a researcher I am a tiktoker slash tiktok watcher viewer Mm. Um, I would tell them that I push people's buttons I would tell them that People press my buttons. So, yeah, lots of things, but, um, you know, I guess that's a good way of describing that I am actually just a radio presenter, or was up until recently. I think we should probably dive straight (laughs) into that. Now, just before I took off from the UK a few days ago, it was clear on social media that something was happening. I'm going to mess this up if I try and explain it. Are you able to explain what's happened in the last four or five days? Yeah. Um, So in New Zealand, we have um, two major media companies, and I work for one of them, um, two major private media companies. And so the company that I um, was working for up until recently um, made the decision to close down the radio station that I have been working on, Today FM. And... We, we were essentially a startup. Um, we'd been on air for 12 months and one week. Um, we had just celebrated our first birthday um, a couple of weeks ago. And so we went to work business as usual on a Thursday morning. Our breakfast show went to air. And um, from around about 9.30 on Thursday morning, uh, we were told that we would no longer have jobs. And the station that we had been working incredibly hard on, we had put so much effort, so much time and energy into, was being closed down, um, effective immediately. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty rough f- few days trying to get our heads around how this happened, why it happened. Um, you know, we're all shocked um, and, of course, devastated, yeah. Firstly, I'm really sorry to hear that because any news that what you're currently doing is going to come to an immediate halt mm. is is life changing for so many people involved. Not just those people, but their families and friends and listeners and you know, viewers and yeah. everything. Were there people that were currently on air at the time when 
mm. at the time when you receive the news, did they have to get their news and then talk about it on air immediately? It's a really interesting process because um, finding out you're losing your job while you're on air is brutal. Mm. Um, but you've also got a chance, a very brief moment, to tell people that this has happened. And so we had um, our breakfast show host um, and our morning show host, which he came on straight after um, Tova, who hosted the breakfast show. Um, they had been alerted early, um, well, about half an hour before everyone else found out. They got a text message from the CEO saying, look, I need to meet with you both privately, one-on-one. Um, -on -one. Um, but because we are such a united team, um, they went, no, we want to, anything you have to say to us, you can tell everyone. And so um, very quickly um, it became apparent that we were all about to lose our jobs. And so the hosts on air at the time said this um, and only had a few minutes to tell people, hey, look, you know, we think we're being shut down. I think... Um, the quote of the day, the quote of our last day, um, which I, wanted, I want this put on a T-shirt, was our breakfast show host went on air and said, they have fucked us, um, referring to our bosses. Wow. So, yeah, quite, quite emotional, quite, um, quite, yeah, quite sudden um, and very raw as well, yeah. And we, we, we were taken off air very quickly and you know, replaced in the most brutal of ways um, by music. Um, yeah. That was going to be my next question is what happens when a station stops? Does it go silent and that stops? Or is there kind of pre-programmed shows that they can run for a while? What's, what's the... Well, yeah, this doesn't really happen. Uh, you know, um, an event like this where a station's being closed down basically immediately... You never hear of that ever happening, um, and so um, our my boss was instructed to to play music, um, and he did it very tactfully because he he chose songs that sort of <laughs> summed up the feeling. Um, I think the first song that played was from a band called Naked and Famous. Uh, the song was called Young Blood, um, which you know basically was describing what we were, Young Blood. Mm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Thursday was a pretty, well, a very emotional day um, for everyone. And, you know, not just for, you know, my colleagues, my workmates, but um, for our, our audience as well. You know, we've spent long hours and um, we worked tirelessly to try and bring over an audience from our competitor we were offering something completely different to what they were doing. We had freshened up the talk radio space in New Zealand. And um, and we'd gained a lot of trust from people. People had switched over to us. Um, and especially, you know, the start of this year in New Zealand, we've had some pretty horrific weather events. And our station, being a news station and a talkback station, was a lifeline for a lot of those communities. You know, radio, even though, you know, linear FM listening um, may seem like it's, you know, on the way out and people are switching off, but it's not true. 
and that was evident during a cyclone um, when people's power and internet went off they couldn't just go onto Facebook go onto a news website to you know get the latest news if they needed to be evacuated the only way that they could find out was from us on the radio so yeah I feel pretty gutted that we've um, been yeah let go because so many of those people relied on us to feed them you know pretty important information uh, we, we definitely save lives so yeah gutting you mentioned about having I suppose you alluded to a community of people when you're on your show do you have regular people that call in re regular people that message in and then you realize actually these people this is part of their routine whether it be daily weekly do you start to recognize this a similar sort of cohort of people yeah we definitely have um and we call them regulars, regular callers um, who phone in. Um, it could be, you know, once a day, once every couple of days. Um, and you get to know them really well, mm. intimately. Um, you know, what is quite special about radio as a platform is that it, it's very intimate. Um, when you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone who's phoned you, you forget that you're on the radio and they're tens of thousands of other people potentially listening at that one moment too and people when they call you when they listen to you regularly they feel like they build up a connection with you um, so you know people treat us like they're friends or you know family even and so they would share pretty um, pretty um, intimate stories um, emotional stories with us because they they, they trust us um, and I think that's yeah it's a very special thing about radio yeah it's so true and something that was going through my mind there is that even though they know there's a human on the other side because you're having a back-and-forth conversation there's an element of detachment where they're able to maybe feel free to say something mm. more than they would in person to somebody because you're over the phone and you don't know them uh, as, as a as a friend until you build up that relationship with them. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you've been given some quite tricky news and you feel maybe an obligation to follow this up further than a radio station? Yes, yeah, so I was um, hosting the, the late program which ran overnight. So um, the overnight audience is made up of elderly people, um, people who are alone, um, insomniacs, you know, people who can't sleep. We have a lot of truck drivers who listen overnight. And these are all people who tend to be on their own. And so when they would listen and phone in, it was because they, they didn't want to be alone. They wanted to have someone else to talk to. Um, that also opened, uh, th those hours also um, meant that we had people phone in with mental health struggles. Mm. And um, on a couple of occasions, I took phone calls from people who were, you know, really struggling with their mental health and their well-being. Um, and it was those, those, are, those nights I remember because um, you realise that, wow, this, this is more than just a job to me. For someone else, this is, you know, this is that the one person they get to talk to every day, the one person who will actually listen to them. 
yeah, I felt like it was a very special job. That's it's quite amazing that because you uh, you have a, a bigger responsibility than just getting through your show each day. Are you able to put into perspective for us what your typical job looks like? Because I know I was going to be meeting you at the mm, station. Yes. Um, until <laughs> it, it happened. Yeah. Um, w w remind me, was it 5 p.m. till midnight? Is that when you were in, in at work? So, yes. I um, my, my typical day um, would start in the office at 5. My first meeting with... Uh, my boss um, was at 5.15 and uh, we had a show meeting. We would plan, you know, what we would talk about that night. And then uh, the show would start at 8 and run till midnight. Um, it was, um, fortunately, on, on that program I was producing and um, would also fill in occasionally as, as the main program host. But, yeah, it was... Nice hours in a way. I've never been a morning person, never been one to get up early and do breakfast hours. Um, I like the nighttime hours. And uh, I also like the nighttime audience just because they can be a bit um, a bit too revealing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but we had a lot of fun as well, yeah. When you've got colleagues that are working throughout different times of the day, is it quite often that you will have friends at a station that you actually won't get to see for many weeks at a time because mm. they might be getting up at the crack of dawn yeah. and then you're getting up later and work, working till past midnight, really. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, in fact, on the day that um, we all found out we were losing our jobs, um, because I used to do the overnight shift, which I, I would finish at 5am, there was crossover, so I would see the breakfast show producers and the hosts and our morning news team I would see them, but then switching to the nighttime slot, hadn't seen them for, for months. And it wasn't until Thursday, when we were all called into to a meeting, that I was like, oh, how are you guys? Yeah. About to lose our jobs? All good? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an unusual um, place to work, you know, working on a, on a station that runs programs 24-7. Um, yeah, quite a few of my colleagues I would never get to see, yeah. You've talked about what's currently going on. I want you to reverse back now many, many moons. Not mm. too many for you. Take us back to sort of 10-year-old Bryn. Growing up, what was the thing that ignited your hunger for radio and presenting? Because it's quite a unique route to go down and there's only so many people that will succeed at it what was the thing that first started to spark off when you were a child i had always been interested in media so not specifically radio although radio has always been i guess my number one passion in media um but media as a whole and i think um you know this started off from a young age i was very fortunate um, that when I was, you know, going through primary school and early education, um, that I had teachers who were very much, you know, advocates for multimedia, you know, projects. We made short films at school. Um, so I was very much in that space, but it wasn't until I got to high school um, and I met with um, our careers counsellor 
who used to be um, on the radio, used to work on the radio. Um, oh, perfect. That he, he was the one who actually was like, I, you know, I think you should explore radio as a career option. Um, so he really did ignite my passion for radio. Again, I sort of known from an early age that I wanted to be in media. I just didn't know what. Mm, but mm. I remember sitting in his office and hearing him, you know, talk about his time in radio. And he even had a flag of the station that he worked on up in his office at our school. And um, each time I would meet with him, I'd look at that flag going, I want, I, I want to, you know, I want something like that. Mm. I, want, I want to, um, you know, when I'm 60s and a careers advisor at a high school, I want to have the same thing on my office wall yeah. and inspire, you know, a young person to, to get into radio. Yeah, That's brilliant. And also quite a rare story to have somebody that's a careers advisor that opens up about their own pathway. I think a lot of careers advisors from my, from my limited knowledge, I'm trying to think of, I can think of like two, um, feel a bit of pressure from the establishment they're working in to get people into certain unis because yeah. it will help give the school that money yeah. or it looks good on a prospectus or, or whatever. But mm. that's, that's, that's brilliant. Now, I know you were young when you then yeah. followed this up. Were you around 16, 17? Yeah, so I, I think I, I applied for radio school when I was 16. So I had one more year left of high school. I applied for radio school thinking, if I get in, amazing, I'll do that. But if I don't, that's fine, I'll, do a, I'll finish you know, high mm. school. Um, but I got accepted into radio school, and so I was like, right, I'm doing that. Just because I, 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 by that point, because I already knew what I wanted to do, I just wanted to go and do it. Um, mm. And I, you know, got bored of high school. Um, and so, yeah, while my, my, my mates at school were finishing their last year, I was at radio school, um, and that was a six-month course. And straight out of that, I got an internship working uh, in Auckland. So um, I grew up in a, in a city about two and a half hours away from Auckland, um, so yeah, moving up to Auckland was quite a big deal, especially at that age, you know, moving out of home quite young, moving to a city where I had no friends, mm. no family, um, into, you know, a pretty um, big job, really, mm. um, working at, you know, a massive media company. Sort of think back now, going, wow, how did I actually get, get through that? How did I manage to... <laughs> it's such a brave move yeah. doing that. And give me an idea. Were you were you on a course with people that were similar age to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But they were all brand new when you first met. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So they were a few, a couple of years older. Um, a lot of them had, you know, recently graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. um, so about one or two years older than me. Um, and yeah, I it was. I had such a great. Um, class um we um we all got on most of us did um we all motivated each other um and yeah it's you know i still work with some of them um which has been really nice to to see that we've managed to um you know graduate from radio school and then you know almost 10 years later you know still be working in the same company in the same building together mm -hmm up until recently. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'll tell you what I was going to ask, is around that age, for a lot of people, you go down the route of going, what are my friends doing, Mm. or what's the majority of people doing, because you feel safer in numbers. You did the inverse of that. You went, I know what I want to do. Mm. It's going to be on my own. And even the job, I know you're part of a team, but you are quite isolated in your work, apart from through the calls and whatnot. Mm. How did you have the confidence at that age to go, I know this is what I want. I know this is good. This is well-respected. And then follow it up because Mm. it's a brave move to do something against the, uh, the flow. Yeah. When I started in radio, and I think I shared this with you last time, um, you know, I, I sort of got into radio thinking, right, I, I, I want to be a newsreader. Mm. That, that's, that was the dream job. When I started in radio, my first job was cooking sausages on a barbecue. I do remember <laughs> this. I, yes, I took that tagline. Yeah. yeah, I remember. It's quite a funny thing to get into radio, and your first job is just almost a hospitality job, um, but a lot of fun because you, you're young, you've you found a way into the industry, um, and it's just great. You've got, you know, you're wearing station uniform. It's fantastic. But I knew that I wanted to be a newsreader, and so when I moved to Auckland straight after um, radio school as an intern, um, right place, right time, a newsreading job became available, reading two bulletins um, at 11 o'clock and at midday. Um, so in the daytime, um, only two bulletins, great training ground, um, wouldn't say it's prime time, so perfect, perfect if you're yep. starting out. And because I knew I wanted to do that, um, I said to the boss of the station who employed me, I was like, right, I'll do it, um, don't have to pay me anything more to do it, I can still stay on my intern wage, um, but I want to do it, and um, and he gave me that opportunity. I think um, I spent a couple of weeks with um, the other newsreaders at the station. They trained me um, in terms of how to read a bulletin. Um, It sort of came naturally to me because I remember being, you know, a 15-year-old at night time watching the news and reading back what the news presenter on the TV screen was saying. So, yeah, and even listening to the radio news bulletins when I was 15, I'd try and read it out loud or, you know, get a newspaper and read out the headlines. So, yeah, I, I knew that it would be a natural fit for me because I'd already been practising when I was younger. And, yeah, I think within a couple of weeks they they put me on the radio and, yeah. That's wonderful. Pretty surreal. That is surreal. And it's such a young age to trust anybody Mm. With the power, because were you going out live or were you pre-recorded? So the way that we did things then is we had quite an old system. We call it DRR, which is digital reel-to-reel. Now, when you think of reel-to-reel, in the old days of radio, they literally used to have physical reels. Mm-hmm. And so when the news feed would be um, transmitted, it would come down a satellite will come down a feed and someone would have to manually record it in and then they would play it back. Now we had a digital version of that which meant that when we hit a button it would send out over the satellite and all of our regional stations would then automatically at 
10 minutes to the hour would start recording. So you would treat it as it was live because you only had one shot to mm -hmm. get it, you only had one chance to get it right. So, um, so yeah, that was always on, that was on the back of my mind day one was if I screw this up, that's it. That's it. And um, I don't think I screwed up on day one, but in my early days, I screwed up a lot. Um, the when you say screw up, are we talking <laughs> about you know stumbling over a word or yeah. saying the wrong thing? Stumbling or? over words, um, you know, wrong pronunciation on a name. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, quite guilty of that. Yeah, um, but the funniest one, you know, we had to press this button so. Um, and out in the newsroom, we would hear a countdown. So a countdown would start playing. Um, but like at the BBC with the pips, we would hear a countdown. It would go um, a more FM news feed in 30 seconds from now. And you'd rush from your desk, go into the news studio. And it would then count down 10 seconds. And then a light on the desk would light up. And you're like, right, now's my window. Now I can start recording. And you have to press this button. And I remember it being quite a quite a big button, but quite a sticky button. Mm -hmm. So you really had to press down on it. Probably from all the pressure and sweat. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, all the breaking news. Um, so I remember pushing it down, read the bulletin, and, um, and you, you had to press it again to stop, to tell the network feeds that, right, this is, that's the end of the bulletin. However, that hour when I after doing it, um, it went to air, and then it just went silent on air for about five minutes. And what had happened is the button didn't work. So when I when I went to press it, um, it didn't actually trigger anything to stop oh, recording. No. So um, so yeah, we it, some some of our stations caught it and then went to the next thing, but. I think because it was lunchtime, I think some of the radio announcers were out at lunch, <laughs> or get, you know, in the kitchen making their lunch, and and didn't click that um, nothing was going to air. So, yeah, but that's you know, it's when I look back on those mistakes, you know, I freaked out at the time, I was genuinely upset, but now you're like, you know, it's not the end of the world. No one died because of it. Well, yeah. I hope not. Um, yeah, stay along the same line when you have a contract to read news on a radio station is there a bit within your contract where you have to tell the truth or you have to say i will tell the truth as long as i understand as far as i understand and the reason i ask this is that the truth can sometimes change depending on you know what information you're given by journalists or what your research tells you you know how does that work in terms of a contract it's not specifically laid out like that, but um, of course with news the truth changes all the time. Um, as stories develop, as you learn more, as you, um, you know, you know, I've worked on many breaking news stories, um, lots of weather-related events, earthquakes um, here in New Zealand. Um, the most tragic one was the Christchurch mosque attacks, the terrorist attacks in Christchurch. And I remember that day vividly because um, I was actually producing a radio talkback program at the time. And as it was going to air, we, you know, took 
took calls. You know, that was our, our job. We took calls from people, and we had phone calls coming in from Christchurch from people who were saying, oh, I've just seen armed police racing, you know, through central Christchurch. Not too sure what's happening. Mm. And, you know, we, we do get lots of those reports. Um, but very quickly we, we knew that something wasn't right and it was bigger than that. And, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with a story like that, the, um, the truth changes a lot. Not so much the truth, I guess, but the... The, the knowledge, you know, that what, what yeah. we're learning about what's happened. Um, so, yeah, I don't think in our contracts it says specifically the truth. Um, what we do provide is accurate news. Um, mm. And before anything is broadcast, we make sure that it's accurate. There's been a lot of debate, particularly during the Trump era, um, mm. of fake news and what is fake news and what is the truth, I think people can sometimes get really caught up in two truths. One is their own and one is someone else's, but I don't think that exists. The truth is the truth. It just depends on how you look at it. You know, I think when people say, oh, but, you know, this is my truth, that's actually your opinion. You know, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's the truth. So, yeah. That's, uh, it's interesting you bring up fake news. I was going to go there. During the COVID time, actually, we spoke over COVID. Um, we did, yes. I, you interviewed me when I had COVID. Yeah, I, I, on my forgot. show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what a surreal time that was. Mm. During the COVID era, there was a lot of people doubting media outlets for truth, or they were maybe questioning media outlets as to what their motives were, or if they were being pushed in a certain direction to tell us one thing for a, a greater cause or company that might be pushing or enforcing something. Mm. From your experience in the back end of all of this, have you ever witnessed or experienced that element, you know, that kind of thing of going, we'll tell you something, or we'll tell you a version of it, but it's geared up this way because of our sponsors or because of... Uh... Oh, gosh. Um, no. So, um, I think in today's media landscape, um, people have a lot of options for where they get their news from. Now, whether or not where their news comes from is the truth, mm. is accurate, um, or is just someone's opinion, um, I think that's, that's a dangerous space uh, because, you know, uh, you know, Every day I'll be scrolling through Facebook and I'll see a story and then I'll be questioned and I'll have to question it because I'm like, is this actually real or is this just someone's opinion? I think when an outlet, a news outlet, disguises an opinion piece as news, um, it's, that's a dangerous space because people just get caught up. They, they read it as fact, but no, it's just someone's view. Um, and I think COVID, people had had lots of views on, you know, lots of things, mandates, um, lockdowns, the vaccine. Um, it was a really hard hard time, I think, working in the media during COVID. And it still is, you know, we're, we're still feeling the effects of it. Um, people question everything now that we, we do. Um, I think, and in fact, I, I know from various university studies recently, or surveys, 
um, the trust in media has declined because of um, the, the COVID era. Um, and that's not because what news outlets has published has been false or inaccurate, but because there are so many places outside of the mainstream media where you can get news from now and people automatically put their trust in those outlets and forget the mainstream media. Um, yeah, does that answer? It does. In it a does. roundabout, weird way. Yeah, yeah no, totally. It's, um, it makes me think of, in a weird way, the police force as well. I've got a few uh, friends that are in the police force and after certain things have come out, you know, I'm thinking the George Floyd time in particular, yeah, yeah. there was a significantly clear backlash towards police, even if mm. they're not in the same country, uh, the situation that they were in has absolutely nothing to do with it, but people feel they've got a, a right or they, they feel, yeah. just feel just very emotional, I suppose, about these things, which mm. is a good human thing yeah. to feel, but the way they present themselves is really, really tricky. Um, I, think, I think people today have, um, and this, isn't, this isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is an observation. I feel like when we see those sorts of things happening elsewhere in the world, and when it's you know reported so heavily on in the media, we do get caught up in the hype. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes what we need to do is just take a step back, take a deep breath, and... You know, just reconsider. Um, but yeah, I, you know, even I, I, you know, I'll watch something on the news or hear something on the radio and feel really passionately, whether it's angry or you know, whether it's against or for it. Um, but then I just have to step back and go, you know what? It's just my opinion. It doesn't. My opinion's not going to change the world. Um, yeah. If that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that does answer it. That totally does. The next question I want to ask you is about your voice as a creative mind versus uh, uh, your voice as a person that's got to do a job. A lot of people that I've interviewed on the podcast so far have a lot of time thinking about what their voice is. Say they're a musician, they have you know a feeling or a, a view on something and they're able to take time and carve it out in a composition or in their performance or their improvisation or or whatever, you've got this interesting balance going on where you've got a job to do in terms of getting out information to people or connecting with people on your show, but you've also got to do it in your own style and own voice. Are you able to talk me through your process of how you eventually find your own voice or your own character as a radio presenter? I think the number one thing when it comes to to that, to finding your own voice, is actually the fundamental thing of being honest. Um, if you are honest with people, they will. That's what they believe. If if you're not being honest, if you aren't sharing your honest view, honest take, your honest feeling on something, people can see through that quite easily. Mm. Um, so. But with honesty comes vulnerability as well. And talkback radio um, is incredibly daunting because here you have a platform where really, my, you know, my bosses gave me the freedom to, to say whatever I wanted to say. Um, obviously, nothing that's hateful, harmful, 
racist, any of that, but that's not me anyway. So if I, if I was to say any of those things, I wouldn't be being honest to myself. Mm. So I wouldn't say any of those things. But, um, but my, my bosses said, you know, you can bring up whatever you want. Um, just be you. Just be you. Which is a very <laughs> scary thing. Um, when someone tells you to be you in front of a nationwide audience, um, you know, I, I get anxious um, I, and I do worry about what people think of me. Um, I think I've had to learn to not worry about that. Um, yeah, I, it's a very unusual job um, when you've been given the freedom to be yourself, to say what you like, um, and then to try and get people to phone up and either agree or disagree with you. Um, yeah, there's not many jobs that, that are like that, yeah. And there's also zero time for you to step back, consider a, a very well-crafted response and then eventually deliver it. You've got to come back to it there. Well, um, you know, if someone, you know, calls into the show and... Um, wants my take, wants my advice on a particular situation they're in, and it's a really heavy thing that they're telling me. Sometimes, you know, I have been honest and just said, you know what, this is, this is full on. I don't know how I feel about this. Um, do you mind if, you know, I just take some time to think about, you know, a calculated response? Mm -hmm. And I think if you're, if you're honest like that, people are like, yes, of course, of course, get back, you know, get back to me. Um, but what I, what I actually found with, you know, um, being a talkback host is once I manage to get people to phone in, you know, it's actually about listening. Um, talkback radio, I think some hosts get so caught up um, with the idea that they have to be heard, um, that they have to, you know, fill airtime with their voice, but it's it, that's not the objective of, you know, what we do. Um, what we do is we take people's calls and we listen to them. Um, I think, as a listener of radio, um, it would it would take a lot for me to actually phone up a radio station. Mm. You know, um, I think you know, maybe 5% of our listeners actually phone us. Um, we get lots of people texting us because it's easier to, you know, maybe write something in a text message or, you know, hide behind a text. Um, but when you actually pick up the phone, dial the studio number and call us, you know, that can be very scary for people um, because they don't know what I'm going to say. Um, they, you know, a lot of the time don't even know what they're going to say. They've just phoned in because something's on their mind and they want to try and articulate it. Um, they want to try and, you know, see what I have to say about it. But, um, yeah, I, and that's the other thing, you know, knowing that people are phoning you because they want to hear your opinion or they want your advice, um, yeah, I think that, that that's quite special too because, um, yeah, you know, for someone to phone, you know, I, this is, you know, I'm only speaking um, from what I know, but um, 
I, I, I could never just phone up a, a total stranger on the radio and share my life story with them. Mm. I'd find that really difficult. Um, so yeah, being welcomed into people's homes and um, you know finding out that you know someone wants to share their story with you is quite a quite a special thing. Yeah. One of the phrases you used when you were explaining what you do for a job was counsellor. Mm. And I've not, I've not thought about it in that way myself before. But you're right, you take on a lot of people's mental health, well-being, balance issues in their life. Is there anything you do, or as a, as a company, ex-company, mm. um, that you do to put in place to make sure that your well-being, your balance, your mental health is in good a good position? Good question. Um, I, I didn't realise how much the job was going to impact my mental health. I had no idea when I signed the contract to, you know, become a talkback presenter that um, it would have, it would actually have such a toll on my own mental well-being. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, some of the most vivid calls I can remember um, were from a couple of people who had lost everything. They'd lost their homes, lost their families through divorce, and they had various addictions with alcohol and drugs. Um, they'd lost their job, had no money. You know, these were really sad people. These were people who were going through hell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a couple of instances when these people called called the show late at night and they they wanted to end their life you know they 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 just wanted it to be over but they phoned in because they were like right i'm going to see what Bryn thinks i'm going to you know i i just want to be heard um and see what he he thinks i should do now when someone says that you know um if, if you would go to a counsellor and say all of this, a counsellor would be able to, you know, guide you through it and put you on, you know, the, onto the right people and, and all that stuff. When someone phones in and, and says that they want to, in their life, I'm not trained as a counsellor. I've never had any mm. professional um, training in psychology, any of that. I'm just a radio host. Um, you have to think on your feet. You have to think of, right... What am I going to say to this person? Because if I say the wrong thing, they could hang up the phone and, you know, and do something silly. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I learned from um, a, a, a mate who I used to actually host with. Um, we used to host a, an afternoon show together very briefly for a couple of months. And he had a caller who um, phoned his show and said that, you know, he was struggling and wanted to end his life. And what I, and this was such a great technique that I learned from my mate Danny, is he recognised that he needed to get this person to call back again tomorrow and the next day. He needed to, get, to give this caller a reason to phone back um, and therefore a reason to live. Mm. Um, and so he, I, I remember this example very well, Danny took this call and he, he asked this guy, have you ever had a Marmite sandwich? 
And the caller said, no, no I've, I've never had a Marmite sandwich. And Danny was like, all right, what I want you to do today is I want you to go to the supermarket, buy some Marmite, buy some bread, then I want you to call me tomorrow and tell me what you thought of it. Um, if you enjoyed it, if you didn't like it, but I want you to call, call me back tomorrow so we can talk about that. And he did. He did phone back the next day. Now, that's a really simple technique mm -hmm. that, um, that I picked up from my colleague. Um, and I used that myself. I used that exact same technique because the objective was to try and get these people to phone me back the next night and to give them a reason to keep living. And, it, you know, a mum might sound like a really simple thing like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose you're diverting their attention briefly away from... Yeah, their internal thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Going, oh, yeah, Marmite. it gives and them something to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I was yeah. going to say. They have to then get out of their house. They yeah. have to go to a shop, buy yeah. some Marmite, do something, try something new, completely do something completely yeah. different. Yeah, and it's easy. That's an easy yeah. thing to do. It's not have you climbed up uh, yeah. a mountain? No, you know, you're yeah. not going to then go. Oh, of course, I'm just going to plan. Yeah, Actually, that probably is not a great place <laughs> to send somebody in that situation. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. let me bring it back to you for a second. Mm. How do you then process situations mm. like that post the event? Because being in a beautiful studio with people around, you're in a, a nice environment to process difficult information. But then you might be going home at 5 a.m. or at midnight. Yeah. How do you process yeah, it's unusual finishing your work day at, in the, at those hours because you do, you know, like anyone, if you work, to, work a nine-to-five job during the day, you don't just, you know, finish work at five o'clock in the afternoon and go home and go straight to bed. Mm. So at five o'clock in the morning when I finished, even though it seemed like the natural thing to do was to go home and go straight to bed, for me, I was still up, you know, unwinding and trying to process you know, what happened during the five hours of me being on air. I'd get to the end of most shows and go, what did I just talk about for five hours? But those, those nights when, uh, when I had some pretty um, raw, pretty emotional, harrowing calls, um, yeah, I, I did really struggle processing them when I got home. Um, and in fact, I, I would worry about them too much. Um, that I would struggle to sleep. It really, um, really affected my own mental well-being, and um, and I had to start seeing a counsellor um, just to sort of unload everything that had been said to me. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It was a, a, a strange way. It was sort of like I was the middleman <laughs> because I, I would get callers telling me their problems and then I would go to my counsellor and say, hey, this caller went through this. Did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Mm -hmm. And my counsellor, um, she, she's she been fantastic. She's, you know, I've had no, I had no help through, through work, through um, my company. I had no guidance from them. Um, I mean, we, we had, you know, guidelines around you know what mm. to do in those situations when you have people phoning in with mental health issues um, but of course those are guidelines when you're actually in the moment and it's real life of course I'm not you know just going to tell the caller wait there I 
I just need to see that if I'm saying the right thing. I'm just going <laughs> just through the guideline. Just wait there. Yeah, keep, um, keep, keep holding well, on. What's wrong with you again? I've just, I've, I've, I'm just at the index page, you know. Um, when you're dealing with that um, in the moment and it's real life, you don't have time to look back at a guidebook. And in fact, I had none of the guidebook stuff actually was relevant to what mm. I was dealing with. And so my, my counsellor did help me a lot with, um, especially with trying to unpack and to try and remove yourself from someone else's problems. Um, you know, I am what some people may describe as an empath. And so um, I am a very emotional person, quite empathetic, um, that, you know, if, if someone comes to me and unloads a whole lot of stuff onto me, I, I, I take that on as well and I wear it as well. Um, but fortunately I've been starting to figure out how to distance myself away. You know, obviously allow people to, to share you know that with me because I actually genuinely care about people, um, which is another point of view which I think is important when 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 you're a talkback host mm. and you're talking with people and your job is to talk with people, you you actually have to care about them and you have to be empathetic. Um, if you aren't those things, um, I don't think you should be in that position. And there are some people who, sadly, are those types of announcers. And it just comes across as um, arrogant and um, and you know unrelatable in a way. Yeah, that's a lot of energy out from you. You have to take on board what they're doing, but you you have you're always listening, you're always mm. giving, and then responding in a way that is of benefit to them. And that's that's always your 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 tack. And it makes me think as I, as we start to go to the end. Normally, I ask mm. one question that has been forwarded from a previous guest, but I'm going to ask you two. Okay, yes, yes. Um, the first one I asked Dante yes, in, in yeah. Dubai last night, <laughs> but I'm going to slightly tweak it. Um, and this is to do with the lifestyle and the situation that you're in and people. So okay, this was this question was actually written by uh, Ashley Stillburn, and mm. Ashley uh, is a is a wonderful performer. He was in the West End for a number of years. He was Phantom of the Opera, the wow. Phantom. Wow! Um, he was in Les Mis. He was in all sorts of things. His question, by the way, I, I saw both of those productions on West End. Yeah, you might have seen him. I might have. Yeah. When did you When did you, When did you go? Twenty fifteen. You might have seen it. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'll look back. Wow. And if if it is. I'll put it right here. <laughs> and also, if you haven't seen Ashley's podcast, you need to go back and watch that. Um, okay, so I'm going to tweak it slightly. Amidst all the chaos and, I suppose, just working throughout the night as a radio mm. host, how do you make sure that you maintain meaningful relationships with people, whether that be partners or, or just friends and family? How do you go about that? For me, I actually I had to quit. I had to quit that job because I wasn't. I um, I found working the overnight shift, as much as I loved talking to the people, as much as I enjoyed doing the show, um, I, I had found that my life outside of radio um, had become very unsocial. Um, working those hours, you know, um, I, I'd never see anyone. 
you know, I, even you know, when I'd get into work, I wouldn't see anyone because no one else was there. It was just me at night. Wasn't alone, of course, because I was taking calls, but um, but I wouldn't get to see my friends during the week. And then when it would come to the weekend, because it would take time for me to adjust to being awake during the daytime again, I just felt knackered. In fact, I would describe it to people as being constantly jet-lagged because mm. I'd be working, trying to operate between two different time zones. Um, and it was taking its toll on me. Um, and, yeah, you know, I talked about this with my counsellor and I actually, I remember going to see my counsellor, you know, one day and just bursting into tears just because I was like, I, I can't do this anymore, you know, I've been taking, you know, calls from people who were, you know, really struggling, but I'm struggling too, and, um, and yeah, and I felt like I was letting my friends down because they would want to meet up, and I would turn them down because I would say that I'm naked, and then I would get annoyed at myself. I would then be thinking, why doesn't anyone want to hang out with me, which wasn't true, of course. Um, so, yeah, I ultimately, I had a meeting with my boss and said I I can't do this late show anymore because it's it's just um, unbearable the hours and um, just being completely socially isolated um, and so they moved me to the slightly earlier time slot of 8 till midnight which actually has or was um, a really great shift Mm. I would get into work at five o'clock in the afternoon. There were still people at work. Um, I worked with, um, you know, a host. Um, ultimately, they were based in a completely different city, but, um, but you know, yes. Oh, I didn't appreciate that. So you're producing from Auckland, and where, yes. where are they? Wellington. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, I was uh, in the studio in in Auckland, and um, we would. Talk over the radio. Um, we had um, what we call an OB line, which is an outside broadcast line, which is an off-air line mm. where we can communicate with each other. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It, but but it, it was fun. But it was. Yeah. Um, I got home. Yeah. Finished work at midnight. Was home by twelve thirty. Um, and you know, there's still plenty of time to you know sleep and then wake up round about. Eight nine o'clock. Got the whole day free. Go to the gym. Um, go shopping. Everyone else is at work. That's what I loved about working at night is you get the day free, so you can actually go and do all that life admin stuff and not worry about the supermarkets being full of people. It's the worst. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was Sunday to Thursday, so um, so I had a decent weekend. I had Fridays free, Saturdays free, and basically all day Sunday. So. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad that you realised how much it was affecting you in terms of your lifestyle and and also then acted upon that because I've seen so many people deep into their careers pursue something because they don't want that initial awkward conversation of, I can't do this thing right now. Mm. But actually, you'll be a better uh, producer, presenter, because you're in a better place. Therefore, the whole thing is is, is yeah. a great move. So, well done on doing that. Thank you. I, you know, it, it took me a couple of months to actually 
have that conversation because, you know, on one shoulder I was, you know, being told, yes, you should definitely do it, but I was also telling myself, by doing this you're admitting defeat, that you aren't capable of doing mm. that job. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I, I just one day was like, you know what, who cares, even if this is me admitting defeat, I'd much rather, you know, still be <laughs> functional and um, enjoying life. Mm. Um, and I haven't admitted defeat at all, um, mm. is what I quickly realised. In fact, my boss was um, very supportive um, of me making that move. So, yeah. Brilliant. Second question. Yes. And this sort of is tied back to um, fake news slash is there another yeah. reason. This question comes from Josh Savage, who is uh, a great friend, and he, he's currently playing percussion on The Lion King, the musical. Wow. Um, his question... Can I just say, all of your guests are doing really cool things. And I don't know how I've ended up on this on this podcast yeah, because because you're doing brilliant things. It's it's fascinating. And thank you. And also, I'm trying to get a, a cohort of people that are involved in creative jobs or creative mm. lifestyles that are in different nooks and crannies of the world because it's very easy, as you will know, in mm. in, in the you know mainstream media, that actually it's very easy to just look at this top tier of people that are pushed to the forefront, whether they be yeah, totally. artists yeah. or celebs yeah. or whatever, um, and they almost can't be completely honest with who they are yeah. as well. So I'm trying to pick and choose wise, honest people. I That's great. Do you know what? Actually, my mum asked me about how I'm picking people before mm. I left. Um, and I, I was trying to put into words what it is about who I'm choosing because but the mm. thing that ties everybody together is that as well as being a creative person, they are honest people. Mm. And you can generally tell that even if there's a couple of people that I've had that, you know, I don't know as, as humans regularly, but you can tell if they're going to be honest. And honesty mm. is, is the big key thing here. So, um, no, mm. of course, of course you're <laughs> on this. Um, now, Josh's question I've tweaked slightly. But overall, how much does money come into play when you're deciding a job? In particular, you're in the position now where you're open to work. And yeah. You don't necessarily know where that will be headed. Mm. For example, if your current bosses were to offer you a big, big pay packet and say, we want you to stay here, would you do that? Mm. I've been uh, fighting my, myself with that very question. I got into radio for the money, which is a total lie. <laughs> um, yeah. um, there is no money in radio. If you're thinking of getting into radio for the money, I would think again. Um, I was having this debate with um, a colleague over a couple of drinks, um, you know, there are some people uh, in the media, and this is globally, but I'm speaking from um, the New Zealand um, media landscape. There are only a handful of people, radio hosts, who are on very good money, mm. um, incredible money actually. They've been in those roles for a long time. There will never be um, any, any other radio presenters who are climbing the ranks at the moment who will end up on the same 
on the same money. It just won't won't happen anymore. Um, Why is that? Um, I think I think media bosses, executives, um, have realised that, um, and this is not true at all, um, I believe, um, but I think they've realised that they don't have to pay people um, those sorts that sort of money anymore. And I mean, I, those pay packets are ridiculous, what some of those announcers are on. They're very good at their jobs and are doing, um, you know, brought in a lot of um, listeners, but I, you know, I just don't, I don't think anyone will ever be paid that sort of money again. Mm. The, the glory days of radio and even um, TV to a degree, um, those days are long gone. Um, so yeah, don't get into radio for the money. Um, but on money, because money is obviously an important issue um, and because I am now open for work, or open to, to any offer, if you are looking for a radio <laughs> Um, presenter or producer, then please um, let me know. Um, but if, uh, back to your question, sorry, this is a really roundabout it's answer. It's great, I love it. But um, back to your question about if I, if, if, if my bosses um, were to offer me a lot of money to stay with the company, would I? Um, I'm, I'm sort of at that point now where I've been through redundancy um, with the same company many times, um, um, especially in the last five years. Yes, we've had COVID um, and the advertising market has changed a lot. Um, and so I understand that, you know, business strategies and those sorts of decisions do change and they change because things, you know, the advertising spend has declined very quickly. Um, now I think they're just using that as an excuse. but. Um, I'm at that point now where I'm very comfortable with leaving that company and going somewhere else, trying some, something else perhaps. Um, unfortunately, in New Zealand, we have a very um, small media landscape. I mean, it's you know big in size in terms of audience and and the value that we offer our audiences, but you know. We've only got two commercial media companies in New Zealand. Um, one of them owns half of the radio stations. The other owns the other half of the radio stations. Um, very competitive. Um, not a lot of jobs going. So I think the next step for me is to actually go overseas. I'm at that age where I can do that. I've got no responsibilities in New Zealand. I don't... Um, have children, don't have a partner. If I was going to make that move, I think now is a great opportunity to do it um, because there's nothing holding me back at the moment. So, yeah, to answer that question, um, no, no, not well, maybe half a million. If, if my bosses are watching this, if you offer me half a million dollars, I'll stay. You've heard it here, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they won't. <laughs> very good thank you so much for your honesty thank you so much for your time uh, particularly in a time that you're, you're in quite a vulnerable position right now as well where you know it's it's very easy actually to walk onto a podcast or a platform when everything is all beautifully working mm. uh, in your direction but actually 
hearing you speak about your job, your current situation, and off air talking about potentially where things might go mm. next. I'm really excited for you because um, sometimes these opportunities present themselves in a kind of a dark and not a lovely way. Yeah. yeah. But the world literally is your oyster, and uh, I can't wait to see where you go next. Thank you. That that, that means a lot. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that, and I hope that everything I've said has made sense. My brain is a bit foggy at the moment, but fully understand. But, um, but yeah, it's it's actually quite nice to. To sit down with someone who um, who've known a long time, um, but it's nice to talk to someone who understands, you know, creativity and how that plays into someone's job and how it might impact someone's job. Um, but it's also quite, um, especially in your case, because you're not from New Zealand, a little bit disconnected from the total inner workings of the media landscape that I work in because sometimes I feel like just when I talk to my my mates who I work with we need an outside point of view yeah. some, like, do you know what I mean totally like, like you understand I feel like yeah I, I don't know do, do you know what uh, again I was explaining a bit, a bit about people on here I think what you're describing is yeah. a Venn diagram of people where yes, it's quite yeah. nice to have another circle that crosses over somewhat yeah. and you, you can appreciate what's going on yeah. but the bulk of what they do or part of what they do is in a different circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you can get quite caught up in your own circle. So. Big style, yeah. big style. Well, thank you for having me um, on your podcast. I've um, seen a few of them already and again, I think that I don't deserve to be on here because <laughs> you've got some great guests. You've got some great guests. You, you absolutely deserve it. <laughs> so, but thank you for letting me vent in a way. Mm. Thank you for being my counsellor today. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You're very welcome. Um, no, it's really important to be able to talk these things through. And yeah. it's also, I've got to say, I'm using this podcast as a bit of an excuse to have these deeper conversations mm. because, you know, I've not seen you in five, four or five years. Mm. And sometimes it's not the coolest thing ever to uh, jump into a deep conversation with somebody like this, you know, that you haven't seen, because you don't want to bring everything no, yeah. down. You know, you want to go out and have some drinks on the on the waterfront or whatever. We're and I think when, when we do catch up, um, I mean, we're, we're working, right? Um, True. So um, it can be quite hard to actually take a moment to sit down and have a, you know, yeah. a, a lengthy conversation and a deep conversation like this. So, yeah. Thanks, Jamie. You're very welcome. Um, if you're still listening, thank you very, very... Oh, actually, no, before I do this, you're about to embark on a new stream of life. Mm. Where can people find you online to maybe follow your journey as to what you're going to do next? Uh, they can follow me on Instagram. Um, Bryn Rudkin on Instagram is probably the best. Um, I tend to update that more than any other platform. Um, yeah, so just... Check me out on there. He's also on Twitter, and he's actually quite funny on Twitter. <laughs> Am I? I just tell you people are... when it's raining in Auckland. That's all. No, no it is funny. <laughs> I I was expecting in your first bit you'd say comedian at some point. Oh, because no. Because I find you really funny online. Oh, really? I, yeah, I do. And and <laughs> some of your Instagram captions are genius as well. Oh, well, okay. Well, that's that's um, a, a great. Um, what what? Uh, it's a great 
plug. It's that's a great plug for my Instagram. Um, yeah, the picture's yeah. awful, but the yeah, terrible. genius. Yeah, sometimes I just photos. I just post the photos because I want to post the caption. There you go. So yeah, you've got some lovely ones actually. <laughs> uh, in in a park or something recently. I, I was scrolling through on the plane. Yes, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, we the side hustle. We're all about now, by the way. Yeah. We could actually mention this just quickly. Oh. If you are looking to get married in New Zealand, um, I'm an official wedding celebrant. So um, are you? You can see that on my Instagram. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. I might put that at the very start of the podcast <laughs> and not mention it. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. It, uh, it's been a treat to catch up and uh, I look forward to catching up o- over the next two weeks as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Jamie. You're very welcome. If you're still listening, thank you so, so much. Wherever you are in the world, remember to create with people, connect with people, but most importantly, be exactly you. Until the next time, peace. We did it! We did it! Woo-hoo. Brilliant! I'm so impressed with how that went, considering I hope so, your I... situation and how jet lagged I am right yeah. now. Yeah, well, you did. You did great. Your questions were fantastic. Were they okay? They were amazing. I, I've, I've got to say, I've, I felt quite a lot of pressure because, you, as a radio host and producer, oh, gosh, no. your <laughs> hyper awareness of how things come across is oh, so no. good. No, 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 um, no. You, you were fantastic. Um, yeah, you were I don't, fantastic. I don't know if I was. No, but, you were, um, you were. But I look forward to watching it. So. Oh, brilliant. Oh, um, no, it was, it, that was bang on. Oh, I'm glad good. we managed to get... The, I might put this in. If you're watching, this is my hotel room right <laughs> now. <laughs> and when I was setting up all these cameras, there was somebody <laughs> washing a window literally What's on that really? building over there. Oh, and wow. Let's all face it. We know what this looks like right now. <laughs> but uh, I think you, you need to take a behind-the-scenes photo, it. actually. I'm going to take... Yeah, because this is quite a funny setup. Let me get my phone. Um, you've done well. You're gonna have to. So, are those? Are they the bedside tables? <laughs> right. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Right. So this is my view. Beautiful. This is outside. Let me show outside. I wanted to initially do it so we could get some of these skyscrapers in, but then I was like. Yeah, no, we'll get some weird reflections or something. So Jamie right now is in a hotel in central Auckland, by the way. So this is literally the the main part of Auckland city right there. And then this is my three-camera setup, which I managed to get on my hand luggage, literally nothing else, um, which is great for them. We've got a very sophisticated bedside table lamp. Ambient Um, lighting. Ambient lighting, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful work. Oh, we need to do a, a Polaroid now. Do you think um, anyone else has done a podcast from in here and had the exact same setup? I, I, I think we're a first. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is that? <laughs> it's the police. That's the police siren in New Zealand. Oh <laughs> By the way, it's not. Just in case there was any confusion. Wow. Oh,